Hi, you're listening to the IdeaSpring Capital podcast, a show where we discuss the latest trends in technology, startups, and tech entrepreneurship in India. This episode is a conversation with Arihant Patni, Managing Director at IdeaSpring Capital. Since selling Patni computer systems for over a billion dollars, he has been an active angel investor in close to 100 startups over the last eight years. He is also the Managing Director at The Hive India, a fund investing in industrial IoT and big data. In addition, he is a director at Nirvana Ventures, a fund focused on the consumer internet space. He has vast experience in driving business growth and helping startups navigate the ecosystem. In today's episode, we talk about when startups need to raise money, how to select the right investor, why most product startups fail, funding trends, and a whole lot more. So Arihant, let's start with a little bit of your background. How did you make your way into the world of startups, angel investing, and now as a venture capitalist? Sure, thanks. Um, so, you know, I am really an entrepreneur at heart, and that's been emphasized by my family background. So we uh, started our family business in the 70s, which was started by my father and his brothers. Uh, the company was called Putney Computers. And at that time, it was a hardware company that then pivoted into a software company that eventually went public, got private equity capital, and was uh, sold in 2011. So it's been an incredible journey. I've worked in the business for most of my career after I finished my engineering from the US and really fortunate to have seen a business go from inception to execution to exit over a period of over three decades. So it's a really exciting yet humbling experience. And uh, I have been part of business building conversations ever since I can remember as I was a child, because most of the times work came back home and, and you'd be sitting at the dinner table and the family would be talking about what to do next in the business and, you know, what problems they were facing. A lot of those discussions, because some of that didn't get resolved at the office. So it was sort of uh, ingrained in me ever since I can honestly remember. Right. After we sold the business in 2011, we decided that we wanted to remain relevant within the startup ecosystem. And one way of doing that was to uh, back young entrepreneurs that are branching out, um, have really smart ideas and need help, not just with capital, but also with strategy and execution. So we thought hey, rather than starting from scratch and building our own business, why don't we put our capital to work, roll up our sleeves and work alongside these young uh, dynamic entrepreneurs and help them build businesses in the new age. So just to build on that, uh, our first venture was a fund called Nirvana Advisors. And Nirvana is focused uh, in the consumer internet space. The reason we chose to go uh, in that direction is uh, we partnered with a gentleman, his name is Rajan Mehra, and he used to head eBay in India. And Rajan really brought a lot of expertise around the new age economy, the new age tech economy, if you wish. We're very sort of IT services oriented, and Rajan kind of taught us about how the internet domain works, how e-commerce works, uh, you know, what eBay does, what Amazon does globally, and how they kind of create value without necessarily churning out cash on a month-on-month -month basis, rather burning more cash than churning it out, right? And I think that was a very interesting experience. That kind of segued into another fund in the enterprise space, because at the end of the day, uh, my personal experience is in enterprise, called The Hive, which is a big data fund parented in Palo Alto. And uh, I set it up in India, and we have a bunch of investments in that vehicle. Both Nirvana and The Hive are fully invested. 
and that kind of led to the establishment of Idea Spring Capital along with my partner Naganand and of course our very esteemed GPs uh, Mohandas Pai and and my brother Amit and uh, that's the new journey that that we've embarked upon to fund enterprise tech startups at a very early stage so okay. to really encourage product and innovation out of India when should an enterprise product startup look to raise money from investors do they have to cross a certain threshold when it comes to recurring revenue number of customers or any other thing so it's a good question right and it depends on the startup although you know there are certain uh, general rules that one can follow so when you look at the life cycle of the business especially in the case of enterprise technology first you have the whole tech piece so you're designing the product you identify a, a problem that the product can solve rather let me put it another way you first identify a problem and then you design a product that can solve that problem so this piece is really the whole product kind of coding or or product development piece the next step is to test the product so you go out and start talking to some early clients some believers if you wish um, as we call them in the enterprise space that are facing this problem that the product is set out to solve and then you convince them to try your product what we call as proof of concept and sort of learn our lessons from that exercise what works what doesn't work does it really solve the problem does it really create more problems does it solve a different problem that we didn't think it it would solve so on and so forth the next step after that is something called a product market fit so now you've got a product that you've built you've tested it with a bunch of believers and then you come back to the drawing table and say okay do we have enough to go by in terms of rolling this out in a more scalable fashion does this product fit the market that it's supposed to serve and sort of go back and reiterate around some of the learnings uh, around the poc uh, maybe you want to pivot at that point and decide that um, you want to solve a different problem with the same product and so on and so forth now one can raise funding at any of these different stages and obviously the metrics involved are going to be different as well and the people that you might approach are going to be different so let's start again from the beginning you've got two very smart tech entrepreneurs let's say one is from google and the other is from netapp and they have a back of the envelope idea where uh, they have a potential product idea which which solves a problem they could go to early stage venture funds they can go to angels or super angels but most likely at this stage if they're good they will have some capital of their own and then they will go to friends and family to accumulate a little bit extra capital to start the basic framework of building the product and how much would that capital be it could experience? be anything it could be you know as less as 40 50 lakhs it could be a crore or more it really depends on what the product is and what uh, resources you need to build the product a lot of times you can find agencies that you can outsource the product development to if it is a very sort of high grade product where you need specific resources in data science or in engineering you might have to hire them you might have to pay them what you have to pay them so it really you know it's 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 a little fluid in in that sure. uh, in that regard you of course also have to pay for the the programming languages the server space and so on and so forth which you know in this day and age with open source and with amazon and azure and and those kind of services is not that bigger drain in terms of um, as far as money is concerned so that's the first step after that generally you know you also build in if if one is financing the first step in a certain way either through your own resources or through 
uh, friends and family, you also build in a little bit of the pre-marketing and the POC timeframe because that is really the next hurdle, right? So you finish the product. Actually, anyone that's building it should be talking to potential users along the way while the product's being built uh, because then you can kind of tweak it in a real real-time basis rather than have something ready and then go live and, and have to make changes to that. So let's say now that you have the product and you have it tested by a couple of people. This is really the right time for the enterprise to go out and look for some early stage institutional investors or venture funds because they themselves should be convinced at that point, right? So let's say you and I are starting a business and we're experimenting. It's only right that we experiment using our own money unless we're, we're dead sure, but generally, you know, it's, it's healthy to have that discovery-based approach. And once we've sort of uh, zeroed in on the product, the space, a couple of, uh, you know, uh, target clients, it makes sense to go out and raise external capital. At this point, the metrics are not as much revenue-driven. They're more around, you know, how many potential POCs do you have? If you've had five POCs, that's a great number. Uh, what is the market size? What is the problem you're solving? So it's a lot more qualitative rather than quantitative. And it is a lot more aspirational as well. Are we solving a big enough problem, right? Can we be the next, you know, Microsoft or the next Google or whatever it is in, in, in that particular context? So that is what relevant metrics would be. And here you might want to raise anywhere between half a million to a million to get to the next level of commercializing the, the product. And what that means is after having that initial validation, you still have a journey to really product market fit it. Um, so we've not reached product market no, fit but yet. I, I would say the product market fit would be after POC validation. And when you're really out there in the market, where you start charging your clients uh, for using the product, where uh, you know, you're learning on real-time data in real-time situations. And that's where it, the product market fit happens. Okay. Um, this is something that's really important before you go out for Series A. Because a Series A raise should not be for product market fit. It should really be for scaling your existing product market strategy. Right. So let's say a startup's gone through this journey and uh, now they have multiple investor options on the table. Yeah. How should a startup choose their investor? What should they look for when it comes to making this choice? That's easy. They should just come to us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, jokes aside, it's a really good question. You know, all along this journey, entrepreneurs and good entrepreneurs and dedicated entrepreneurs will have options of capital. And at the end of the day, at any stage, the fundamental question is, you know, what are you getting aside from capital from your source of funds, right? Is there a particular skill set? Is there a domain expertise? Is there a geographical expertise? Enough of this doesn't get talked about, but, you know, is there the right value system? you know, between the folks that who are funding you and the team that's seeking funding. Right. Let me start by domain expertise. Now, if you're building a product, let's say in the networking space or in the cloud space, does the VC fund have expertise in that area? Can they help you figure out not just strategy, but even technology scaling uh, with some of the assets that they have or that they've built around them or their portfolio. Um, introductions to clients, to advisors, all of this sort of comes within that realm of expertise within a certain domain. In terms of value system, especially when it's early stage businesses, uh, does your investor understand the nuances of the domain? So for example, someone that's used to 
funding consumer apps, so a food delivery system or a bike sharing system, may not understand what it means to build a product in the networking space. Sales cycles are very different. The kind of customer engagement and the customer value is very different. So clearly, and this is very easy, obviously, but clearly you don't want to go seek money from a consumer venture fund when you're an enterprise startup right? Because you need them to understand your business. Uh, The other bit about value system is, you know, especially early, and this is what we at Ideaspring really focus on, or any of the super angels, to be honest, would focus on, is you're less of a capital provider and more a partner, right? right? So you are not on the opposite sides of the table, although sometimes it may seem so. You're really on the same side of the table as the entrepreneur is. You're rolling up your sleeves and you're really trying to help build the business alongside the entrepreneurs. And I think that is very important because if you get a venture fund that's focused on just your monthly metrics, you know, how many units you have sold or what your revenue is tracking at without any kind of alliance to your strategy to the greater value that you're trying to build, then that might be a little bit suffocating. And I've seen that happen. Right. So essentially, an investor is not just about the money. No. It is also about the mindset, the network, the connections that come along, plus your experience with startups in similar spaces. Yes, exactly. Okay. So moving on, what happens after you invest in a startup? How do you support the startup through its journey forward? So I think the answer to that sort of was partly what I just said to the previous question. When we fund a startup, immediately we come to the same side of the table as the entrepreneurs. I like to say that we're almost sort of providing our services plus paying the company for it because we have invested in the company. But we are involved in strategic conversations where the company should go, what sort of you know product roadmap they should implement, what kind of uh, marketing messages they need to dish out, what is the customer engagement strategy, all of those various aspects of building a successful business, bringing on advisors that are relevant to the company, you know, helping them navigate through signing up clients, signing up POCs. A lot of times we just talk to clients and other strategic advisors on behalf of the company because it's sometimes harder for entrepreneurs to sell themselves. And it is easier for us who have belief in the entrepreneurs to talk about them and to talk them up, especially to prospective clients and to prospective partners. I think financial prudence is also very important. I always say this, that, you know, the earlier you have financial checks in place, although it might not have rather not financial checks just, but financial systems in place, even though it might seem like it's too soon, it's a great practice because as your business grows, you can always morph your financial systems. But if you have bad financial systems from day one and then you grow into 100 people, it's very hard to fix that, you know, behavior of bad fiscal prudence. Reworking the foundation is difficult. It's incredibly hard. And I think our consumer startups in India have faced some of these problems in the past where a lot of money was thrown at them by funds and a lot of, you know, fiscal malprudence was sort of exhibited high salaries, high marketing spends, whatever it may be. And then suddenly when you're told to dial down and and kind of conserve capital, you know, it's very hard to do. You're already 400 people. You already have all of these uh, sort of campaigns out. Then how do you dial that back without hurting the company? I think that's a good segue into the next question, which is essentially around, uh, based on your experience, how have you seen enterprise product startups fail? Where do they usually go wrong in their journey? So, 
I think with enterprise product startups, so first of all, just from a team perspective, I think enterprise entrepreneurs are a lot more conservative and a lot more perhaps to use the word mature compared to maybe consumer startups. And that could be due to the markets that they are servicing. That could be a factor of maybe the age and so on and so forth. But I have rarely seen enterprise startups fail because they mismanaged their money. I think the more common issue is, one is that they aren't able to attract capital in the first place. And also, you know, when they're out there trying to build a product, and I spoke about this earlier, right? You want to build a product that people want. A lot of times, us as techies, and I I also, you know, go back to technology in terms of my career as well. We love to build a product that we think is the best fit that has all the bells and whistles, that have has all the features, and then we take it out to market, and then we discover that, hey, you know what? This isn't as good as we thought it was, or it's not really solving the purpose that we thought it would solve. And, you know, we have to go back to the drawing board, and we have to tweak stuff, and right. that's painful, right? When you, It's different when you have a sort of a core platform that you're building features onto after listening to what you have heard from the market or what the market wants. But when you have a completely ready product and you think that this is it, and you go out there and you realize that, hey, no one's buying this, that's a very difficult one to digest. And that's where a lot of entrepreneurs get disheartened and they're not able to successfully pivot their product to what the market needs. And this is a real problem for a lot of enterprise startups. The other problem is, when you start building a product and you eventually want to build a global product or eventually want to sell, let's say, in the US, you build a product and you start testing it in the India market, let's say. And you start hearing back from the India market and it's very easy to get sucked into making those changes that your India clients want. And then you finalize the product and you say, now it's US ready. But guess what? It's not. Because when you go to the US, you have to start that whole journey again because the US customers are going to have different feedback they're going to want different tweaks. And by now, if you've already solidified your product within your team and your mind, it again becomes very hard to break it down and retweak it for a new market. You waste a lot of time, and this is where you run out of capital. So if you want to eventually build a US product, it's fine to test it in India because that's easy to do. But let's not get too married to that because at the end of the day, you have to retest it in your target market in any case. So essentially, you're still looking at India as your MVP base. In the case where you're building for the US, you're not really getting married to the final product in India. You can't do that. That's a very dangerous mistake to make. Shifting gears a little bit. uh, We've seen a lot of money go into consumer startups in the last few years. And we've seen multiple unicorns come out. Now, this is something that's lacking in the enterprise product space. There are very few unicorns and that are very recent. So when do you see this changing in the space? You know, I think that uh, I, I don't really like uh, measuring success by the amount of capital that someone's raised or, and as a virtue of that, the market capitalization that they are sporting at any given time. Because at the end of the day, that's all paper valuation, right? They're good companies and, and Oyo just raised a billion and it's valued at five and that's great. But at the end of the day, they're core question is, are you really building value and are you building a valuable company that can sustain without further infusion of capital that can, you know, justify unit economics in a way that you can keep building on the product and keep building on the the market or rather scaling up. 
And to that, we've started seeing some of those plays within the enterprise space. So Freshworks is an example. And on the services side, of course, we have seen a whole bunch of them. Mu Sigma is, is a company that has done very well. Um, and of course, before that, my own family business and Infosys and TCS have represented great scale in terms of market capitalization on an enterprise model. If you ask me, I think so far what's holding back you know, a large enterprise valuation is it's still early in terms of product innovation in India. You know, we have folks from India that go and, and start companies abroad and build huge enterprises. So we have people from India that have gone to the US and built large enterprises. Um, and you have many examples there, uh, whether it's Palantir, whether it's Google or Cisco or NetApp or, you know, Salesforce, I mean, these are very household names uh, in the enterprise space right. nowadays. I think that it's coming out of the US because there is a lot of focus on enterprise innovation. A lot of venture funds are putting money into that. Uh, they're close to customers. Customers in the US are very open to, to testing enterprise, on, uh, enterprise innovation and giving a chance to those entrepreneurs. In India, I think our ecosystem is a little bit behind, although getting there. So the speed at which we can grow an enterprise product startup is a little bit compromised. But I, I think it will happen. And I think that when that happens and when we start demonstrating global product quality and uh, start representing the fact that we can grow a business quickly, the valuations will follow. So you mentioned ecosystem, right? And a lot of startups are actually focused on the U.S. markets, even though they're building from India. Are there enough customers in India to build a sustainable and high growth startup in this space? We're getting there. You know, clearly this hasn't been the case in the past and which is why most of our IT services companies have 90% export driven revenues. Uh, I think the domestic market has just not been lucrative because Indian enterprises and Indian consumers just don't want to pay. And if you're getting a better customer overseas, then it's just natural to gravitate towards that. The other issue was that Indian enterprises also are wary of trying new product startups from a risk perspective. So up until recently, it was easier to go market your product startup in the US, get some early traction, and then bring it back to India, where customers would say, hey, you've got a couple of US clients, now I can try it, right? right? I think all of that is changing, by the way. And I think the new generation of uh, business owners, again, some of the startups that have been uh, funded so far, whether it's Ritesh from Oyo or Girish from Freshworks, they, or you know the Flipkart folks, they have now demonstrated uh, eagerness to give young startups the chance to prove themselves. And that's healthy. So then now you have believers within the Indian ecosystem. They still don't pay, <laughs> but that will come as well. At this point, if you were to ask me, the global market from a monetization standpoint is still light years ahead of the India market. At iSpring, you've invested in a couple of enterprise product startups. Can you take us through how they're approaching this? Sure. So again, we have a whole bunch of different startups, right? Um, one of them Karomi, for instance, has a ton of India business and now has started building a business in the US and is doing very well with it. They're an enterprise software to help FMCG and pharmaceutical companies manage their artwork and their compliance when it comes to package labeling, uh, which is a very stringent criteria, at least in the West, in terms of how you represent certain ingredients and so on and so forth. Another company of ours called Lavelle Networks, uh, they are in the SD-WAN space. 
uh, software defined networking and they're actually working on a India and a Southeast Asia model because this problem is largely solved in the US and they're sort of gaining great traction within the India market. One of our other companies called Hudat, which is an augmented reality play, to be honest, have only eyes and ears in the US because that's where folks understand what they're doing, understand the technology. Augmented reality as a sector is very early, so to speak. And uh, as it is, there is enough confusion about what the real value is and so on and so forth. So India is really not much of a play here. So it all depends on the startup, but we are trying to encourage companies to build valuable products that do scale borders. So it's not that we're saying, hey, listen, forget India. It's not relevant, not at all. I think India is relevant, but also how do you intelligently build a strategy that can also been, be taken, let's say, to US and to other Western markets for growth there? Essentially build a global company. And Absolutely. it's high time that we have such startups Absolutely. I think that, you know, why should we say that India should get any products that that is not of global standard, right? Why should Indians not have the best as well? So if we're building a product, you know, it should be the best whether, you know, people here use it or people in the US use it. Right. So what do you think about the funding climate in the next 12 to 18 months? Are there any specific industries that you're particularly excited about? I think the funding climate is great right now. And especially for early stage, I'm seeing a lot of activity. There are a lot of early stage funds that have come up a lot of angel investors that have evolved in their thinking and are very active in the early stage space, including myself, um, since I've been an angel ever since 2010, 2011. Areas of, that are exciting are the usual, I would say AI, which is artificial intelligence, uh, internet of things, you know, anything around applications uh, for fintech, for consumer tech, you know, those are the general areas that, that we really like. SaaS businesses are very exciting as well. So finally, to end with, if you had one piece of advice to an entrepreneur listening to this podcast right now around the topic of raising funds, what would that be? We've covered, you know, how you need to look at investors, when you sure. need to raise money. But if there's one key advice that you'd like to give any entrepreneur out there. I think one advice is, is a little bit restrictive. Uh, <laughs> I can go on about this, but really, uh, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, I would say, believe in what you're doing, you know, have patience because it takes time for things to play out in India more so than anywhere else. And, you know, businesses have been built over many years and with a lot of hard work, you know, be intelligent about what you're doing. So, you know, of course, one wants to believe in oneself, but you can't have horse blinders on and not know what's happening around you. Um, and especially to your point about product startups and why they fail, please don't build a product that only you would use and try and think about the others that would be contenders to use this product and how they would feel about it and, and build a product that has global acceptance rather than a very, very small uh, set of people like your wife and kids and uncle and aunt that <laughs> want to use it, right? Uh, in terms of fundraising, I would say don't be greedy for too much money. Don't be too equity hungry, be reasonable, get the right partners in, leave something on the table as your venture fund should do as well to display goodwill. Because if you are too greedy and if you're too territorial about the company, the equity, then you won't get the right partners in in the first place. I think the whole idea should be to make a big pie rather than, you know, having a big piece of a small pie. 
right? right? Like they say, ten um, percent of a hundred million versus hundred percent of one million. Absolutely. Okay, this has been fantastic, Aryanth. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me here. Thank you for listening to the ID Spring Capital podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at Idea Spring Cap. That is Idea Spring Cap. This podcast was recorded by Skapari, your complete digital marketing agency.